for this time of worship, God. And as um, we hear a message today, God, I just pray that we open our, our ears to hear what you are speaking through Dave to us, God, and that we can lead with something today, God, knowing something about you that we didn't know before. God, we just thank you so much for everything you do for us. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I don't think you guys even realize we didn't talk. I didn't talk to the band before they picked those two songs, but they probably pick two songs that couldn't um, be more appropriate for this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, at home on a Friday and got a call from Gary, our senior pastor, and he said, uh, "Dave." I'm going out of town. Um, a funeral is going to happen on Tuesday, and you're doing it. And I had never done a funeral in my life at that point. And I said, well, okay. But once I got past the initial shock, um, I started asking questions. Okay, can you give me the situation? What happened? Uh, whose funeral am I doing? And he began to tell me the story about a young man who was 25 years old who uh, had died of a drug overdose and who probably wasn't a Christian. And then real panic set in. So not only is it my first funeral as a pastor, but it's the worst situation you could possibly imagine. And it's like a perfect storm. Every situation you could put a young death, an overdose, basically a suicide, wasn't a Christian most likely. Family's grieving. So what do you do? So I met with the family and got some information about the guy and was sort of grieving with them and, and through the whole process with them. And uh and the funeral happened that next Tuesday, and I had all my notes prepared. And uh and as I was doing this funeral, um as I was talking through this young man's life, trying to make sense of it and make sense of his death, um, I found it really hard to say something good about this young guy. There were some good qualities, but in the grand scheme of things, it was really hard to try to find some good things to say about this guy. And I found myself wrestling honestly with this tension. I want to honor this guy, and I want to honor his life, and I want to honor him in his death. But at the same time, I wanted to scream out in this funeral, this guy wasted his life. He wasted it. Don't follow his example. I don't think you have a more captive audience than at a funeral. And everything inside of me wanted to scream this out as I was preaching this young man's funeral. But of course, I, I couldn't. I didn't. I'm not saying I should have. But everything inside of me wanted to. Because isn't it true that at funerals is probably when the most lies are told about someone? We see all the good things about that person, and there were some good things, possibly, but that's when the most lies are told about someone's life. No matter how they live their life, we say things like, oh, they lived a fulfilled life, they lived this great life, they, they loved people, they loved little animals, and we try to make their life look all pretty, and, then, and really when you look at it, you've got to understand that someone like this guy just wasted his life. 25 years, and God gave him, and he wasted it. He wasted it. And so what I want you to do this morning is you've got some uh, note cards at your tables. 
we're going to have some time for you to reflect on some things here and, and uh, write some things down. Um, the first two questions are like a thought question for you to write on this index card. So grab a pen, grab an index card, and uh, I want you to focus here. It's not for you to draw a picture of someone else's mom or whatever. Just This is for you to answer questions about the card, okay? Um, first question, what dreams and plans do you have for the future? Second question, what would you want said about you at your funeral? So go ahead and write those two questions, or those two answers down, and uh, we'll see if we have some time to discuss that at your tables. Right. looking for a big essay or anything. We just want some words. That's why I gave you a small card to write on. But for the sake sake of time this morning, just kind of keep, you can keep writing as I'm talking. Uh, but what's the thing about those two, those two questions? What dreams do you have for the future? If, if you could envision your life 20 years from now, what would it look like? What are some elements? I imagine some of you would say family. Some of you would say husband or wife, kids. Some of you would say good-paying job. Something along those lines. I, I know you have. I'm not looking for the, the churchy answers, right? I'm looking for what, what dreams and plans do you have for the future? And then secondly, what would you want said about you at your funeral? This is more of a character question. What is the one quality that you want people to remember about you before you die or know about you before you die? What is that? What are those things? And what I'm going to do at the end here is I want you to just keep that card at your table. I'm going to collect those at the end because I want to know. Uh, you can put your name on it if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, we'll collect those at the end. Um, but we're going to look at a passage uh, today in Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. And this is a book that was written by Luke, but this, is, this passage is about Paul. Luke's writing about Paul in this passage. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20, verse uh, 24. And just one verse, and we're going to look at another one in a little bit in Isaiah. But here's what is said. Uh, he's quoting Paul here. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You see, Paul's life was shot through with one passion. And it was to preach Christ. 
There is no question, as you read the works of Paul, that Paul's life had one central focus. And it was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was no other side issue. There was nothing else that Paul lived for. He was about the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ as it testified to God's grace. That was Paul. In fact, he even said that if his life wasn't, if his life wasn't consumed with this one passion, then his life was worth nothing. Did you catch that? He says in this verse that if his life was not fully consumed with this one passion, then his life was worth absolutely nothing. Now on the one hand you might think, well come on, I mean, Paul, if you're being a good husband, good father, you got a good job. Paul's job was to make tents. Tents were a lot bigger back in that day than they are today. But his job was to make tents for people. And he was a tent maker, so he would he had a job. Just like you're gonna have a job, hopefully, one day. But even in the midst of that, Paul had one singular passion. And he says that if his life was not consumed with this one passion, then the entire thing was a waste. The entire thing was a waste. You see, most of us sitting in this room, you see your life as a collection of many pursuits. You see your life as a collection of, yeah, I've got, I've got school, I've got my future career, I've got my relationships, I've got uh, uh, my job right now, I've got fun. Um, you see your life as a collection of many different things. And, and part, of one of the, part of those things might be your spiritual walk. Part of those things might be your walk with God. But you tend to look at them all equally, right? My, my life is a collection of many pursuits. I'm about many things. If I wasn't, I might just get bored. But Paul sees his life as, the, as one pursuit, one passion that was driving him. So as he made tents for people, as he walked the streets of the cities that he ministered in, all those things that he would do in his day-to-day life, there was one thing that was driving him, and it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do you view your life? How, How do you see your life? Do you see it as something that God owes you? Or do you see it as a gift? As you look at your life, do you see your life as something that God owes you? Or do you see it as a gift from God? Because the answer to that question will determine how you live. Seeing it as something that God owes you is going to lead to prideful disobedience. If you walk through your life thinking that God owes you another breath, then you're going to rebel against God and you're going to pridefully disobey God. That's how you're going to live. Because you see God as owing you 72.5 years, whatever the average is these days. 72 years of life, you think you've got it, God's guaranteed that God owes you that. So therefore, what you're going to do is you're going to live life in prideful disobedience while you're young. And you might have a plan, maybe, to come back to Christ later on in life. But on the other side, if you see your life as a gift from God, if you see every time you take in a breath of air, that's a gift from God, that's because of His grace. If you see your life as a gift, then you will respond to God in humble obedience to Him. 
You will see every moment as precious and given to you by God as a gift. And you will treat it as such. And you will live accordingly in, in, in humble obedience to God. You see, how you view your life will determine whether or not you waste it. How you see your life, the big picture of your life, will determine whether or not you waste your life. How many guys in here and girls love music? Lots of music lovers in here. How many of you guys uh, love to look at the words of a song and analyze the words of a song? Fewer number of you. You guys are music nerds like, like me, okay? But some of you like to look at words and figure out what they mean. You like to analyze what's this writer really saying. And how many of you guys feel like you never have any clue what they're saying in the songs? You just like the music, right? That's the way most of us are. Well, there's something about music that I want you to know, and that is music reveals how people view life. Because the writers of music and the writers of songs, they spend a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy pouring their souls out to us. And most of us don't even care. We're just like, that's a cool song. I like that song. It's got a cool beat. It's got a cool rhythm. And so, they're pouring themselves out to you, like these soulful songs, and we don't really know the words, but these words really have meaning to them. And I have a couple of old songs I want you to see the the words of here. The first song is uh, by the the Beatles, and uh, the song Nowhere Man. Here's parts of, of this song. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? What I want you to do is to, we're going to look at two songs this morning, this is the first one, and I want you to uh, describe at your tables, how do you think this song describes life? What are some words that you would use to say this song is pointing to in, in relation to how they view life? Go ahead and discuss for a few minutes.
Okay, how does this song describe life? How does this song describe life? What do you think? Yes. Life is pointless with no purpose. Um, anyone else? How would you add to that? Yes. Add your own purpose to life. Okay, that's a really good observation. So he's saying that you basically create your own purpose. You've got to you've got to create your own meaning, create your own purpose. That's a really good insight, uh, Parker. And at the end, of course, he says, isn't he a bit like you and me? Describing this, this nowhere man, as he calls it, and then pointing to ourselves, aren't we all kind of like this? And this is a philosophy you see, of course, throughout every element of our culture, isn't it? You create your own meaning. You create your own purpose. It, it's really up to you to be the author of things, right? There's a second uh, song I want you to look at. A little bit different by Bob Dylan. These are old songs I know, way before your time. But do you guys still like these people? Do you still like these artists? Are they timeless? Maybe. Uh, this is a famous song, Blowing in the Wind. Here's how it goes. How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? Yes, and how many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? Yes, and how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. I can rap that. I can't, you know, sing it, kind of. Yeah, I'm not going to, no, no. Um, So discuss this at your tables. How does this song describe life? Okay, how about this one? How does this song describe life from your perspective? What do you think? Yes. That is really good. 
I'll summarize what Corey said. She said that the life is full of mystery, but if you look hard enough, you can see some answers. Yes. It was what, like a rat race? I missed the last part of what you said. I just heard rat race. Okay. Uh, someone else? Anyone else? Yes. Rebecca said was you can be around things but never notice them until it's too late that's really good insight anyone else um, you guys are smart you guys are good uh, I'm going to skip the next slide Jessica because we've already kind of answered some of those questions there um, but as you look at these two songs they sort of a, both have a different take on life they both have a viewpoint though the Beatles had a viewpoint and that was life is meaningless so either you just live that way, or maybe you create your own meaning. Uh, Bob Dylan had a point of view as well, the way that he saw life, and it's this. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with what we see around us, and we all know it. We all talk about it. We're all trying to make things right. But here's the deal. This raises another question. If you put these two songs together and what they're looking at with life, this raises a really profound question. If, if life really is meaningless, then why should we care if something is wrong with the world? If life really has no meaning, then why should we care if something is wrong with the world? But what's weird is that people live in those two dichotomies. That on the one hand, they'll say, life's meaningless. On the other hand, they'll say, oh, but something's wrong with the world. We need to fix it. And they live in these two places, this tension. And the question is, if life really is meaningless, then why should we care if people suffer? Why should we care when death happens? What is it that's in us that, that seems to care about these things? And you see, if, if there is no answer to these questions, if there is no answer to life, then why does man even think to ask the questions? If there is no answer to these things, then why do we even have the questions? We couldn't have evolved that. We couldn't have evolved the questions, the asking. That doesn't just happen. I had another question I was going to throw out to you here that I want you to write down. And we'll try to be really quick about this because we're running out of time this morning. Um, but the next question I want you to write on another card is this. Just write one question. What questions do you have about God, purpose, truth, life, death, or people? What are your big questions about life? If there's one question that you could ask God, what question would that be? What are the big questions that you have about life? Just write down one question. I'm going to collect those at the end. So go ahead and write that down. You can keep writing as we're talking, but uh, there is an answer. 
And if you miss it, if you miss it, you will waste your life. There is an answer to the questions that many of you had. And if you miss that answer, you will end up wasting your entire life. And so this morning we're going to look a little bit at why you and I exist. This morning is not going to be a, here's three points you can take home with you and apply to your life this week. This is a big picture message. This is a how do you view your life kind of message. So look at Isaiah chapter 43. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at verses uh, 6 and 7. Here's what Isaiah writes. He writes, Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. So why do we exist? We exist for one reason, and it's to glorify God. But the question is, what does that mean? We throw that Christianese term around all the time. Glorify God. We're supposed to glorify God. But no one knows what that means. Here's a way to think about what glorify means. To glorify someone or something means to magnify. There's two ways to magnify something. Uh, Most of you guys have had some kind of biology class or whatever you use, a microscope. Microscope is one way to magnify something. I can take something really small and I can look into it and what's happening is something that's very tiny, molecular, is being magnified, looks bigger than it really is. That's not the kind of magnify that we're talking about when it comes to God. Another way to magnify something is with a telescope. If I were to set up a telescope and look out into the heavens, I could see some things... They look really tiny in the sky, but they look bigger to me through my telescope. But what's happening is, I am seeing something that's really big, that's out there. I am seeing that as it really is. And in a sense, that's the kind of magnify that we're talking about when it comes to glorify God. It's to see God as He really is. It's to display God as He really is to the world. It's not to take something small and make it look bigger than it really is. It's to take something great and show it for its greatness and show it and display it before the world. That's what it means to magnify, to glorify God, to display His greatness. And and our mission as Christians is to show the world what God is like. That, that is your purpose. It's to show the world what, what God himself is like. That means in your relationships, that, that's why we tell guys to treat a, woman, a, a female with respect because we know that the Bible says that you are to love her and cherish her and sacrifice for her in the same way that Christ sacrificed himself on the cross. Because you are to show the world that Christ himself is like that. That's what Christ does. So that's how you treat a woman. So your your mission as a Christian, as you walk through your life, is to show the world what God is like. To show Him His character, to show Him His holiness. To show them what He is like in all of His character. Here's a question for discussion for you. Why do you think, why is it wrong for us to glorify ourselves, but okay for God to glorify Himself? Discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. Go ahead.
I can imagine that uh, when you go to school next month, you're going to meet some people on your teams in your hallways that you're not going to like. And my guess is that you not liking them might have to do with their arrogance, might have to do with their glorifying themselves and everything that they say and do, right? You know people like this, and there's something in you that says, I don't like that person. Now, we all agree that it's wrong for us to glorify ourselves. But someone tell me, why is it right for God to glorify himself? Yes. Okay, I'll summarize what she said. She said it's not God just focusing on himself. He's focusing on everything that he's created. Okay. Okay. Anyone else? Why is it okay for God to glorify himself? Yes. Okay, so God's perfect. So therefore, he's maybe worthy of glory. He's worthy of, of glorifying himself. But let me just see by a show of hands. Does it not seem a little weird to you? If, if you were a non-Christian sitting here, can, can't you understand how it'd be weird that we think it's okay that God glorifies himself when it's not okay for us to do it? Doesn't that just, doesn't that kind of, is that a little bit unsettling to anybody else in here? Is it just me? It, it does feel kind of weird, doesn't it? And so you can see how this is a very confusing thing, that it's okay for, for God to glorify himself, but it's not okay when we glorify ourselves. And why is that? Here's why. It's wrong for us to glorify ourselves because God is the only one who has that right. You could say it's kind of like murder. It'd be like someone saying, well, why is it okay for God to murder and not us to murder? Well, it's wrong for you to murder because it's God's right to take someone's life whenever he wants. That's why it's wrong for you to do it, because it's really his right. In the same way, it's the same thing is true of glorifying himself. It's wrong for you and I to bring glory to ourselves because only God gets the credit for what is. Only God gets the credit for us. Only God gets the credit for your abilities. It's always amazing to me how um, someone can be prideful about something that they've done. Well, it's always amazing to me how a girl can be prideful about how she looks as if she had anything to do with it. Or for a guy to be prideful about his athletic achievements as if he had anything to do with it. I mean, of course, yeah, he worked out every day. But who gave him the ability to work out? God. Of course, the girl put on makeup. But who gave her that ability? Who gave her the resources? Who gave her something to work with? God did, right? And so when you think about pride and how, how insane it is that you and I get prideful about things, when only God should get the credit for us, anything that you do, God gets the credit for, for that. God gets the glory for that. And when you glorify yourself, you're essentially stealing credit from God. You see, even, even atheists don't like arrogant people, right? Even the atheist who will not acknowledge God does not like an, an arrogant person. Isn't that kind of weird? If they don't believe in God, 
Why are they holding someone to a standard? They don't like arrogant people because there's something in them that knows someone else should get the credit for that person's success. Because they're created in God's image, they know. They know that that person should not take the credit for them, for who they are. That something else, someone else, should get the credit for who they are. And they won't even admit that that someone else is God. That God should get the glory. So our purpose for existing is to bring glory for God. But does that mean that God's just using us? Does that mean that He's using us in a way? How can God use us like that and still be a God of love? You see, the problem is that most of us have a distorted view of love. In our world, we think that, that love means that you make someone feel good about themselves, but, but real love is doing what's best for someone else. It's doing what's best for them. So, so when God wants us to bring Him glory, He's not using us. He's giving us what is best for us.